evening all. Welcome to this week's Red Voices. Thanks for stopping by to dissect a rather surprising but enjoyable start to the season as United ran out 4-0 winners over Chelsea on the first game of the new Premier League season and asserted themselves as title contenders. <laughs> well, maybe not, but still. <laughs> With me this week, we've got Shamoon Hafiz from BBC Sport. Shamoon, how are things? Hey, I'm great. Uh, great to be on. Thanks for inviting me. Um, and uh, as you said, what a, what a start to the season, eh? It was a bit ridiculous, wasn't it? I mean, after watching both City and Liverpool, obviously, you know, it's difficult to compare ourselves too much to those two teams, considering that, you know, it's most likely those two who are going to be uh, competing for the Premier League title again this season. You know, there was a sort of element of envy going on there. And then I guess we just were concentrating a little bit on our own sort of business. And I don't think anyone quite rightly saw it unfolding, especially after that tricky first half, quite as exuberantly as that. 4-0 4-0 against Chelsea. I mean, they weren't rubbish by any means, no. were they? I mean, it was an interesting first half. And Chelsea, Chelsea's not our, our favourite opponents as well, are they? They're sort of our bogey team. So to hammer them on the first game, really enjoyable to watch. And it was like a throwback to, to the Ferguson days. Fergie himself was there in the stands. He, You could see him beaming uh, on the sky cameras. Not just the scoreline, but the manner of the victory was sort of... Is a, a dream, a dream start to the season. No, absolutely. I mean, especially after the way the first half unfolded as well. You know, Tammy Abraham smacking that shot off the post, and in particular with the pressure that Chelsea were, Chelsea were exerting. Uh, it, it, I think we could count ourselves pretty lucky to go in at half time at one 0 up, really, couldn't we? Yeah, they had they were getting on top for large periods in that in that first half, but I think that a, a settled back. Who would have thought that? Putting a right back, a right back, and then two central defenders, and putting a left back in the left back position would give you some stability. Where even Matt. where even De Gea has got rid of his last season's form and looked like the player that that we know more, we know we know more, and what we've seen of him. A lot of the saves were comfortable for him. You'd expect him to make them, but he did make them. And the one off uh, in the first half off Barkley from his left foot, tremendous save from point point blank range. Yeah, I guess it, the particular is the defence that we start off with because as before, uh, Rich and I recorded last, and in, in between that period, the signing that United made to round off the transfer window was what eighty million pounds for Leicester's Harry Maguire. Um, I mean, not to make any sweeping generalisations this early on, but it looks like very money very well spent at this <laughs> early stage, doesn't it? Money well spent. Looks when the camera's on him, there's that headshot of him with the, with the top half of his kit. He just, he just looks like Manchester United player. He just looks mm-hmm. a fit in that shirt. There were times in that first half where you know he turned round and he's like, "Oi, oi!" To, to his to the players. You can see what sort of a leader he is. You, you can see the style of play emerging as well, where they are now passing it out from the back. It's not going to do our hearts hearts much uh, much good, but. The, the, there were a couple of times in that first half where uh, Maguire could have marched it long, but instead gave a like a, across the box pass to Lindelof, who turned away, and you know brought United forward. And then there was one where he gave a grave crossfield pass to Juan Bissaka, you know straight onto his toe. Juan Bissaka could get away. I mean, all the plaudits went to Maguire, but what a play, what a performance from Juan Bissaka as well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think in particular when it came to Maguire, I can't remember seeing many more or really any 
sort of really commanding defensive performances in the last sort of several years at Old Trafford. That was a standout for me because in comparison with so many of the centre-backs that we've had over the last five or six years, he looked like he knew what was going on around him. He looked in charge and you could he exudes confidence and stability and that's not something we've been treated to a lot over the last several years. And I guess that's why it was so encouraging to see, wasn't it? Yeah, I was trying to think back to the last time where uh, one of our debut players made such an impact. Where would you, what would you think? Ronaldo, maybe? It was a long time ago that, you know, when he, again, <laughs> when he came off the bench against um... Bolton many years ago. I don't know. I mean, one of our big impact signings over the last sort of decade or so would be Van Persie, but he came on as a substitute against Everton, so it's not quite yeah. the same, I guess. But yeah, I mean, maybe Ronaldo, that's a, quite a good shout. I mean, Rooney against Fenerbahce, to be fair, with that hat-trick might run him a little bit close. But still, though, I mean, for effect, for coming into a defence that was so leaky last season to make it look... You know, it wasn't perfect, but to make it look so much more solid, and especially, as you mentioned there, with the passing out from the back, just looking a lot more assured under that press that Chelsea were pushing us under in the first half. Oh, it was beautiful to watch. But you mentioned Aaron Wan-Bissaka, you know, making his full debut as well. What did you make of him? We saw him, we saw him a lot for Crystal Palace last season, where he barely anyone got past him in the first game again. Uh, he had a lot of the players, Chelsea players on lockdown, didn't he? It's just the ability to read where the player's going sticking sticking a foot in, being in the right place at the right time. And I think it's been a long time coming, a, a right-back like that. I mean, five, last five, six years, we've had two wingers turned full-backs. And, you know, last season, Ashley Young was getting a lot of stick where he ended up not being able to defend and then not being able to cross a ball. So, Wan-Bissaka's um, breath of fresh air. And if that back line takes fit with uh, De Gea behind them, I think they'll just give each other so much confidence and I think Lindelof uh, will grow as a player as well and uh, we, we saw last season how solid Luke Shaw is. I mean, I guess the next sort of area of the pitch to look at, we will actually talk about the goals at some stage as well. That was the midfield. Now, it was less of a problem in the second half because Solskjaer's tactical tweak seemed to be let Chelsea have most of the ball and we hit them on the break and that worked to superb effect but especially in the first half when we were under that press the midfield did seem to get very easily overrun and I don't know I mean with Pogba in particular coming back in and we know that sometimes his performances can be I guess erratic might be the best term in the sense that in the first half I don't think he was pulling up any trees but then in the second half because he's of such a high calibre he can produce ridiculous passes like the one for Rashford's second Mm. goal and then when you've got players of you know relative inexperience in terms of playing at this sort of level for this club in midfield in Pereira and McTominay I guess it just made for a slightly... I'm trying to think of the best word to describe it. It didn't really necessarily fill me with confidence. I mean, the other option is Nemanja Matic in there, which seems to be <laughs> particularly distasteful and unpalatable to lots of United yeah. fans. I mean, how did you view the midfield's performance over the course of the game? Um, you mentioned in your, la- in your previous spot that we looked light in midfield, and I think that's that's going to be the case this season, where we might be overrun. If, if teams play three in the middle, then it's going to be difficult to forge. Popper and uh, Tommy to cope with that, but we've got Fred as well. Um, set that, he's had his first season. See how he does in his second. But there were concerns uh, as to how easy Chelsea were getting in that first half, and then deciding to play on the counter, he sort of played into Popper's hands in it, where he had time to get on the ball, get forward, 
that pass for Rashford's goal was just magnificent. Oh, it's filthy, wasn't it? Yeah. Very much enjoyed that. Yeah. I mean, I guess in particular as well, we managed to get in, you know, with that first goal from Rashford in particular. I mean, the, the Kurt Zuma foul, I mean, that was one of those ones where you didn't necessarily need VAR because it was so obvious yeah. that Zuma basically essentially just kicked him on the shin. Yeah. I mean, Zuma had a pretty terrible game regardless. But yeah, that that was fortuitous to say the least, considering that, you know, well, not long after that, it was Emerson smacking the ball against the crossbar from close range. Just going back to that in the midfield chat, do you think we look, we look light in there? Oh, yeah. I mean... Don't get me wrong, if a midfield trio made up of Paul Pogba, Scott McTominay and Andreas Pereira can see us through between now and the end of the season with Fred dropping in every now and then, maybe bringing Nemanja Matic in for, you know, Europa League for added experience when the likes of Angel Gomez or Tahith Chong play or Mason Greenwood, that's great. Um, if we can cobble together a useful midfield out of the five options that we have and maybe add James Garner into the equation, that'd be great. But... Uh, this is also going against what we know about this current crop of players. Pogba is better when he's got higher quality around him. We haven't seen anywhere near enough on the Manu Matic over the course of the last two years to disprove the theory that he's essentially running on fumes in terms yeah. of what he can provide at the top level. And when it comes to Pereira, I- I'm still not convinced where his best position is and what he can consistently offer this side. I think there's a player there, I just don't know quite where. Good, good enough in the defensive half, but further up the pitch, um, he, he, he has the ability to, you know, he gets on the ball and he, he has the ability to create something. But a lot of the burden this season is going to fall upon the shoulders of Anthony Marshall and uh, Max Rashford. And from the start they've made, can they can they carry on consistently throughout the season until me. There's no doubt doubt in the end result of that penalty, was there? It's a throwback to PSG one where he smashed <laughs> it into the top corner. Oh, very satisfying. Deeply enjoyable as well. It's always nice to see him smack a penalty like that. He's got such confidence from the yeah. spot as well. It's really nice to see. And I guess, you know, as, as we sort of waltzed our way into the second half, I think one of the satisfying things about two of those three breakaway goals especially on the counter, was that we didn't actually play perfect passes apart from that second goal for Rashford. So, you know, in the lead-up to uh, Martial's goal, Lingard got sent quite far wide and it took a really great cross by Pereira. I mean, as you said there, that's one of the things that Pereira can do well. He does actually come up with useful passes and he's got a great shot on him when he's going forward. It's just sort of the, the aspects of his game further back on the pitch that might need a bit of work. But yeah, gorgeous cross for Martial and it was nice to see him get onto the score sheet and open his tally for the season. Because a lot of the burden for, as you've mentioned before, with the attack is going to be on Rashford and Martial. So seeing Martial reclaim the number nine shirt after Romelu Lukaku left, that was a really good start for him, wasn't it? Yeah, really good start. And it wasn't his usual, you know, sulky self, was he? He was looked, looked up for it. And both, I think we're going to have to be patient with him this season. In, the fans are going to have to be patient with this season. With uh, They're going to infuriate and excite in equal amounts. I think that point in the first half will where Martial led the break and Rashford tried backheeling a pass back into him as it got intercepted, where the better option was to hold it up and then play it back. So Mm. if they keep their heads, they both signed a new contract, Andy. What do you make of... um, Lingard did well to uh, keep the ball alive for Martial's goal. What did you make of him? I thought, uh, I mean, again, with Lingard, the issue for me is that 
when he's playing with Martial and Rashford, he's playing with players who can simply offer more. And Lingard has to be playing at the top of his game to really provide something special. And the problem is with Lingard, to me, is that he doesn't necessarily provide that frequently enough. I understand why in this game, which is especially in the second half, very quick in the transitions, why he's preferred to say Juan Mata, because Juan Mata is definitely better at passing and you know trying to find his man, but doesn't have anywhere near the pace required for what we're trying to do, especially when we're playing on the counter. Uh, it's a mixture with Lingard because again he's an academy lad. You want to see them do well, but again, you know, well that wants to sound too negative because he had a great day. Yeah. On the whole, I'm still not sure whether or not he's good enough to be a consistent part of the starting eleven. But again, you know, here we are. We haven't got another number ten in, so it's going to have to be, isn't it? It's going to have to do. Yeah, we're like in in that central midfield and sort of that creative role. In that creative role, you want a, a player. If if you had a player of mix between Matter and Lingard, that would be the perfect player, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't say no at all, yeah. Would you make of Marcus then? Moving on to goal number three, uh, barely a minute after the second, which basically just killed the game. Wonderful quick move, pick the ball up, Pogba flashing wonderful pass through, uh, Rashford uh, basically making a mockery of Asper Equator's offside trap, and then slotting home gorgeously. Uh, I mean, I've basically described it. I've taken all the effort away from you there. But yeah, what did you make of that one? Absolutely clinical, wasn't it? That first touch was beautiful. The great thing about that was so quick that the Stratford end hadn't even stopped celebrating the previous goal and Rashford took a touch and banged in the third. Everyone was buzzing after that. That's what you want to see from Rashford, don't you? That one touch, bang, not letting defenders set, not letting the keeper set. But it's in the back of the net before... Anyone's had a chance to blink, and if uh, he did that a couple of times last season, uh, if he continues to do that, he's going to be he's going to hit that jolly goal mark, which he should be aiming for at, at the very least. Well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, again, because we didn't bring in a, a replacement for Lukaku, you know, we'll get on to transfers a little bit after we finish the game, but because no replacement was brought in for him uh, after the Muta Inter happened there is certainly a level of pressure on the players that have been left behind, especially Marshford and Rashford. Marshford and... What am I talking about? <laughs> Rashford and Martial yeah. to get the goals for this team because they are the biggest attackers that we currently have. You know, I don't think anyone realistically expects Sanchez to get anywhere close to double figures this season because you know he's been in and out of the side consistently over the last year or so with injuries and form and whatnot. And every time he's played, he's just looked like he's just running himself into the ground without any new ideas. And I guess one of the interesting aspects of what we saw on Sunday was that Daniel James managed to get himself on the score sheet as well. You know, we've got more options. You know, we've got Mason Mason Greenwood, who could potentially be playing games and you would assume he'd get bedded into the team in Europa League fixtures that are coming up over the next several months. But yeah, I mean, side note on Daniel James, what a lovely moment that was for him. You know, it's been spoken about a lot over the last few days. You know, we all know his father passed away just as he was about to sign for the club. And that has a huge effect on anyone, let alone when you're 21 years old and you're about to move to a club United size. I mean, he does seem to have settled in very well at the club. But the goal itself, the moment, the celebration, that was a real highlight for Sunday, wasn't it? It was a really nice, heartwarming moment. That was great. Great composure, I thought, once again, because it looked like the chance had gone. Ball drifted a bit wide, but still managed to dig out a shot which deflected in. And it doesn't matter how they go in, does it? If they all count. And in front of the Stretford end, you could see how, how much it meant to them. If it was a dream start for the fans, um, you know, what, what a start for, for Daniel James. And that'll do his confidence wonders as well, uh, helping him settling in. 
to the Premier League to Manchester United and I think he'll get he'll get a few chances he'll get quite a few chances this season because of the pace that the team has bringing him on for the last 20 minutes is going to be he's going to be a bit of a nightmare for for the opposition yeah absolutely I mean, I think in particular you hit the nail on the head there. I'm not sure we'll see Daniel James starting a lot over this first couple of months because, you know, moving to a club of United size and in particular with the team and having to deal with that step up, there is an element of having to acclimatise. But at the same time, his pace can really cause some teams some damage, which is really going to be exciting to see in the latter stages of games if we are struggling to find an opening because he could just rip teams apart and I think that's a really excellent tool and a weapon to have if you know if we're really struggling and games are starting to get a little stretched. I guess one of the interesting things as well was that one of the problems that United have had over the last, you know, sort of 5 years in particular was struggling to break teams down and also not dealing very well with being pressed. Now there were there were elements in the sense that especially in that first half, we didn't deal so well with being pressed. But I thought the interesting tactical tweak of actually making us sit back and go on the counter really helped us. Do you see Solskjaer's sort of plan evolving a little bit to cope with those sort of aspects of the game? Because, you know, he's clearly trying to build this high uh, pressure, high energy passing side. Do you think that's the right way to go for a start? It's the in thing at the moment, and he's seen the success uh, Liverpool and both Manchester City have had with that. And not to go on all David Moyes uh, on here in, on my first podcast appearance, but they're the two Manchester United have to aspire to be. They've sent the benchmark, and now United. So they've been left behind. We had Moyes and then Van Hal and then Mourinho, all outdated managers, if if that's the right word. And now we've got um, Solskjaer in with his modern, modern methods. You, you could see where he was going straight away in, uh, in January when he flogged Marouane Fellaini and he does have the nows that, look, Chelsea are getting on top here, let's sit back a bit. And the last five minutes of the first half, when United were sort of pushed back a bit, we looked quite comfortable and we were dealing with all the threat that was coming towards us and then soaked up the pressure in the second half and uh, hit them on the break, which worked a treat. I guess, you know, especially as, as the way last season ended there was a lot of criticism for Solskjaer and the team itself for how things just completely crumbled after the second leg away in Paris but that's one thing that Solskjaer has consistently done over the course of his time at United isn't it he's that he has looked at where things aren't working and offered a little tactical tweak that has on occasions really done well to swing the games in our favour and especially after you know, years of Van Hal and Mourinho who are very rigid with their tactics mm. and sometimes seem to succeed at United almost in spite of their plans and their tactics. That's really quite refreshing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's quite ironic that with the new change of style and you could you can clearly see what the socialists trying to do, that the old manager Mourinho was there working for Sky Sports and it sort of turned really sour in the last last his his last few months, didn't it? We didn't know what style he was playing, what what methodology there was, we didn't know where what direction the club was going in. So for for United to produce that in front of the old boss, um that made it quite sweet as well. Yeah. I mean that was one of the more enjoyable aspects. I've got to admit, I didn't really try and concentrate too much on what Mourinho was saying because I think I'm I'm kind of just tired of him. Yeah. I think I'm just done with the shtick. You know, <laughs> I, I know that he's a very deliberately sort of a servant character. I know that he wants to rile people up. I know that he's deliberately quite morose as a human being. I know all that, but 
I'm tired of him now. I'm, I'm tired of a man who doesn't seem to be able to look at his mistakes and learn and analyse where things have gone wrong. I'm not saying that everything that happened at United was completely his fault because we know that United is not necessarily the easiest place to come and do a fantastic job. You know, we've seen that from three managers already over the last six years. But at the same time, I'm more than happy to have seen United win 4-0 with some tactical tweaks with Pogba and Rashford and Martial all playing starring roles. And I guess, again, you know, speaking of uh, a bit of sweetness, the fact that <laughs> in the middle of the pitch was £80 million Harry Maguire, who Edward would refuse to buy for Mourinho 12 months earlier. Or we could have got, got £70 million last time, yeah. I mean, that is true. That is true. But we had just spent £50 million on Fred, and we all thought he was going to be awesome. So, yeah. you know, swings and roundabouts. Mourinho, whether you like it or not, you, you'll see much more of him maybe on telly nowadays and uh, you know he'll make a comeback uh, into management one day but the um, comment about Luke Shaw made me laugh where he said Maguire's going to learn that he's going to have to cover Shaw a lot this season I thought it was just like a, a really cheeky one cheeky dig yeah I mean I guess that was missing with Luke Shaw was the fact that Rashford wasn't necessarily tracking back a lot on that left flank and yep. leaving him a little bit exposed so you know I, I don't disagree that Luke Shaw of those four defenders is arguably the least capable not that he is incapable, of course, but in terms of the clear quality that Wan-Bissaka has in terms of how quick he is and how good he is at tracking back and getting tackles in and getting movement started again quickly and the qualities that we saw at Lindelof and the qualities obvious that Maguire has, Shaw's probably the fourth best out of those four at the minute. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, he's clearly the best left back that we have. And I know that Mourinho and several other coaches seem to have problems with Luke Shaw. So, yeah, I'm still confident that we've got a good player player there I think this maybe uh elements if you really wanted to try and improve that back four that's where you start now really isn't it and there aren't necessarily a lot of obvious candidates that spring to mind especially not considering that United do not seem to have been really pushing the boat out when it comes to new signings which is a nice segue onto our next topic which will be the transfer window so things uh, ended off quite quietly for us I mean I guess Plenty of stories, you know, Christian Eriksen in the last week of the transfer window, there was a a bit of noise about him potentially coming on board uh, to the point where we were getting stories about him potentially in talks with United, but then it became very clear that he didn't want to move, so United said he pulled out, much in the similar way that seemed to happen with Paolo Dybala. So what was your sort of, how do you view United's transfer window as a whole this summer? I mean, there's been lots of discontent, as I'm sure you've seen over social media in terms of, you know, protests and unhappiness with how things have gone. How do you view it personally? Uh, I understand the frustration of the fans, you know, with the Glazer out and the Woodward out moving on on social media that we've seen. And I think we've already mentioned, but we do look light in midfield. We could have done with bringing uh, one more in, uh, Fellaini and and Herrera. uh, That's two gone. Herrera is going to be a massive loss because of what he brought to the team and uh, maybe effort should have been made to bring someone in. But I was on the live text uh, for the transfer deadline there on the BBC Sport website just for the last few hours and I did put a poll out there asking United fans what you made of the of the window and there were around 1,600 thumbs up saying, yeah, it was quite good, but just short of 10,000 thumbs down. <laughs> saying they weren't happy with it. So once again, I think agents have maybe led the club 
down in Melbach, uh, there was Dybala who was asking for extortionate more money. Then there was Bruno Fernandes who was heavily linked, but then colleague Simon Stone saying United were never in for him. Oh, blimey. Well, as Paolo Dybala as the window wa- uh, wore its way down, I mean, with Dybala, I mean... That was an interesting one in the sense that the briefing that we were receiving from both UK-based journalists and even some Italian journalists, you know, there was a lot of coverage, and I understand that completely because obviously with Lukaku being involved in a potential swap deal, that's really big news. Um, But in terms of the semantics of a deal, it seemed to come down to the fact that Dybala didn't necessarily really love the idea of moving to United. Now, in that sense, do you think it was right that United didn't fully push the boat out for him? Yeah, absolutely. We've we've been stung in the past before with players like Angel Di Maria, who was given a sack, load of, load of money, and then sacked the club off after after twelve months. So, um, and there was chat that the agent or his signing on fee was going to t- going to be about thirteen million, which uh, again is sort of ridiculous. So I think they were they were right not to not to push for a deal. You know their fans are unhappy with that, but the window's shut and you got to make do with what you have got. But there was an interesting story this week where Wesley Schneider announced his retirement. So unfortunately, we'll never see him in a. Oh, in Manchester a, United legend Wesley yeah, Schneider. We'll never yeah. see him in a in a shirt unless unless we want to bring him out. <laughs> the retirement. dream dies. No, I mean that's great. It's nice that he's. Uh, I'm sure you'll. You know, he's had a glittering career, Schneider. You know, it's just another one of those things where, considering how strongly we were linked with them, I mean, we have at least one of these stories every single yeah. summer. Yeah. Where it looks like that there's daily news reports, and in this case, it was Bruno Fernandez, as you is, mentioned. Is Nicholas Guy and still available? I mean, <laughs> he's getting a testimonial next summer. Surely uh, uh, at this yeah. stage, you know, he's, yeah. he's been a tremendous servant to the club. I always had this picture of Nicholas Gaetan every single summer just basically living in an airport with a ticket to Manchester, just waiting for the call. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> no, but, yeah we've, we've, we've had it in the past, haven't we? Like, I remember one summer going back on CFAX, you know, we, we were linked with um, Nadal from uh, Barcelona and we were meant to sign him and never happened. Oh, wow. Do you, do you remember that? I remember that one. I do. I mean, I used, I used to love CFAX. I mean, this is probably not going to be something that a lot of our younger listeners yeah, younger, get, younger, Yeah, showing that age here, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, just so you, you youth know, CFAX was like uh, the internet on your television. It was really cool. Anyway, uh, yeah, but I guess, you know, it, it's always that thing with United. You know, United is always going to sell papers and generate clicks because, you know, we're still somehow big news so you do get these stories that are spun wildly out of control especially with what Bruno Fernandes seems to be anyway and there's always you know an element with United you've got to kind of keep your wits about you and what did you make of the window um where should we have maybe brought one or two more in um I mean one of the big things that was frustrating about the window was that we struggled to get uh to let more players go so the likes of Rojo Damian. I mean, I never saw Phil Jones going because it wasn't that long ago and it wasn't De Solskjaer's reign that Phil Jones signed the new contract. So that mm. it wouldn't have made any sense to me to let him go at that stage. Um, but I think it's players like Rojo, Damian and maybe even Sanchez you could add into the equation because after 18 months, it's tricky to see him suddenly turning his form around. And it was clear that Solskjaer would prefer to start with younger, hungrier players, and especially players who've been through the academy, all the likes of Martial, who has got so much to work with at this stage of his career. 
so I guess the frustration came more from me that we didn't sell more players as opposed to who we didn't bring in. Obviously, it's disappointing that we didn't shore up midfield a little bit. But on the other side of that, we've brought in three players that have had a great start to life at United. Obviously, we can't draw sweeping conclusions on it based on the fact that we played one game, even <laughs> though it does feel really good to have won that game so comprehensively. Yeah. Um, you know, Wan-Bissaka at right back is a problem area since Raphael was sold to Lyon back in, what, 2015? Yeah. We've needed potentially a new centre-back for a while. And, you know, plenty. apart from Victor Lindelof, you can't consistently trust pretty much all the centre-backs at United. You know, I mean, Axel Tuanzebi has got more stock with me at the moment than the likes of Rocco, Jones and Smalling. So it, you absolutely needed to make that move. And it's great that we haven't brought Harry Maguire in. And with Daniel James, we've got a young attacking player who can light Old Trafford up. You know, he's going to... I think he could really do well at United in particular. So those are three players that we brought in that have been excellent buys. And then on the other side of that, we've sold a player in Romelu Lukaku who didn't want to be at the club anymore, who was kicking up a bit of a stink, who, whilst he had scored a lot of goals in a relatively short space of time, was arguably the least adaptable to what Solskjaer was trying to do, really, wasn't he? I mean, Lukaku's a great person to talk about. I mean, he'll clearly do quite well at Serie A. What do you think of United selling him? Do you think it was a mistake not to bring anyone in, despite the fact that it happened quite late on in the window? Because they sold him quite late, there was no need to panic and go for someone else in a last-ditch attempt to to fill fill squad numbers. But from what I've read about Lukaku, yeah, he did sort of down tools. He was a very positive influence during pre-season. One of the one of the training sessions, he sat in the dugout and watched teammates train, and he just sat there, you know, didn't get involved. He called Conte the greatest manager in the in the world, didn't he? at one point, and saying, oh, he wants to play in Serie A next, sorry. Good luck to him. You know, I'm sure he'll, he'll, he'll do well there, but uh, with the change in style of play from Solskjaer, I think um, uh, he'll give uh, Rashford, likes of Rashford and Martial confidence as well to take up the mantle and take the club forward. And there's a lot written about Pogba being the virus in the dressing room, but by all accounts, Pogba's knuckled down and uh, although he, he keep, still keeps hinting about about leaving, uh, there were some quotes after the Chelsea game as well. But he put it puts it puts it put a shift in for the team on the opening day, and if he keeps doing that, then you know you can't you, you can't knock him. Mm, no, absolutely not. And I think with Pogba, as you know, I kind of said earlier on, the key is providing him with the right quality around him that's going to give him the space to flourish and giving him tactics that are going to played to his strengths and we did that in the second half we didn't necessarily do a hell of a lot with the ball but when we did get it we were lethal with it and I think that really plays to Pogba's strengths when he's got the space to run and pick out a pass there are few players in the world let alone the Premier League that are as good at doing that as Pogba is that's one of the greatest choices in football Paul Pogba galloping like a horse down the middle of the pitch shrugging, <laughs> shrugging defenders off and then you know, unselfishly laying the ball off uh, teammate to score. It's just uh, wonderful to watch. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I still think he's going to go in a year's time. You know, I think United are well aware that he doesn't view United as his long-term home. And I think, realistically, I think almost every United fan also expected that he wasn't going to be at United for life when he signed that deal back in 2016. So, 
yeah, I would ex- I would I'd expect him to go off to Spain in a year's time once Real have had time to sort themselves out and potentially sort out a deal. Although, you know, just as a bit of a side note, it's wonderful watching them blow up internally once again yeah. after you know Florentino Perez pulled out the rug from Bale's transfer over to China and they're now essentially on a collision course because Perez didn't deliver Pogba to Zidane. So, I mean, whatever you... I mean, obviously, there's a massive comparison to make in the sense that, you know, Real, before this season, were on the back of running three Champions Leagues in a row. So it's not like they're doing badly for themselves. But when you contrast their soap opera to ours, mm, it's an interesting contrast, isn't it? It's sort of, uh, who's the daddy up at, up at Real? You know, Florentino Perez wants to be the man in charge and Zidane left the first time because he didn't feel he was going to have enough influence on stuff going on at the club. So with all that still going on, we've still got Edward Wood to deal with. That's very true. I mean, I guess the only thing to talk about now before we wind down for the evening is... Obviously, you know, you can make as many grand sweeping declarations and uh, sweeping generalizations as you like. One game into the season, we won 4 0. Clearly, we're going to win the league. But where do you see this uh, season for United going? I mean, I'm kind of in the camp where top four and a good trophy run, considering what we went through last season, would be progress and lay down some foundations for the future. If we get through this season with that, I'll be more than happy and then hopefully build up to a second full season for Solskjaer but what are your views on that Shamim? Yeah I think uh, I'd like to start this section by with an apology to to, to yourself oh. and uh, was it Richard on last time? Yes it was. Yeah so I was I was, I was listening to that and it was so full of full of positivity that I was shaking my head listening to it going you know what are these talking about but having seen how the team played against Chelsea and you, you were absolutely right there is there's green shoots of hope there in there. There's lots of positive things going on. And I just hope we back it up with a victory at Wolves because they're a team we didn't beat in three games last season. They knocked us out of the cup as well. Another three points there will, you know, put us in positive mood all round. And yeah, top four would be a fantastic achievement. But what maybe once, what Mourinho did in his first season, you know, winning the Europa League, I think. Even then, if we finish fifth or sixth, then at least we're, we're back in the Champions League, and that's that's the ultimate ultimate aim. I wasn't too disappointed by missing out on Champions League for this season because of the way we saw Barcelona tear us apart. Um, you know, it just showed how out of our depth we are in that competition. We, we sort of got lucky against against PSG. Yeah, a, a positive, you know, a run all the way in the Europa League. Maybe even the Carabao Cup would be would be nice. The top four would be, I think, a, a, f- a fantastic achievement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, after the way last season fell apart and the sixth place finish, uh, a, a top four place and a nice cup run would be just what the doctor ordered. You know, I don't think anyone can seriously expect United to challenge for the league title this season. You know, City and Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool didn't even really need to strengthen. You know, they were. A, a, a whisker away from winning the Premier League and quite rightly won the Champions League with an excellent run to the final and you know City in particular basically just improved what they already had and what they had was probably the best team in the on the continent in mm. some ways so it, it's going to take a while for us to truly match them you know but at the same time seeing us make a bit of progress and put faith in the young players that we've got 
is enough to give you some confidence for the future. I'm not saying that you know it's going to be a completely rosy ride over the next several months because you know as you pointed out Wolves are a different proposition to Chelsea Chelsea definitely had some good points but defensively they were very lax and as you pointed out Wolves always turn up against us you know we didn't beat them in three games last season and both games at Molyneux we lost and we deserve to lose them by quite a wide margin despite the scoreline so yeah it's not a game I'm absolutely relishing but it would be a really good test for United I think after Sunday just to see how much more metal there is about the team this year yeah they do have a Europa, Europa League qualifying game on the Thursday before we play them uh, and we'll have had like seven full days of training so hopefully that extra game helps us but I think the top three are set I think it's with City, Liverpool and Tottenham and I think there's a Scramble for one spot between United, Chelsea and Arsenal. And if Chelsea continue like they've started, then it's going to be a battle between us and, us and Arsenal for that for that final spot. And uh, it's going to be interesting how we fare in the fixtures between the top in the, between the top six. Ah, oh, blimey, yeah. I mean, the thing with Arsenal as seems to be a perennial thing with them. They still don't really have much of a defense, you yeah, know. Yeah. They, yeah, they, they. I didn't watch much of the the Newcastle game at the weekend, but that's always going to be the biggest weakness for them. And what sort of mental strength and character have they actually got? And I still haven't seen much to suggest that even under Emery, that's taken a massive turn. But still, you know, I guess we'll see. I'm very much looking forward to Wolves anyway. But yeah, let's round it off for the evening there, Shamu. Thanks very much for joining us. Where can people get you on Twitter should they wish to? Uh, if they want. It's at Shamoon Hafez. Uh, I mean, I've also got to pass on uh, my deepest thanks for actually saying that Richard and I were right, which does not happen very often, <laughs> if at all, over the uh, four years of us doing this podcast. Yeah. So thanks very much, mate. Very much appreciate your presence this evening. It's been a pleasure. Nice one. Thank you. Cheers. And guys, thank you very much for listening. Don't forget, you can get us all over Twitter and the internet, should you wish to. You can get Shamoon, as mentioned, at, at Shamoon Hafez. You can get Rich at, at Rich Red Voices, me at, at Ewan Leonard, and the podcast at Red Voices MUFC. You can also get our website at redvoices.net, and you can find us on Spotify, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and the Apple Podcast app. Have yourselves a superb week, and I guess we'll be back after Wolves. Take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye.